Being an expert sucks. As a teacher of spiritual intelligence and emotional health, I get cornered into being the guy who has all the answers. I'd like to take this opportunity to make a confession. I don't. What I do have are convictions. I have theories. I have questions. I find myself looking around and I'm like, we can't stay here. Stop setting up your tent. We can't stay here. Through my journey, it's become evident that being a participant is no longer enough. It's time to become reformers. These are my confessions. To get deeper in this conversation, visit MikeMayashiro.com. Okay. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Confessions of a Reformer. I'm your host, Mike Mayashiro, and uh, we've got a special guest on today, which I'm super excited to get to experience myself, but then for you guys to get to hear from him as well. Um, Before we jump into that, just want to let you guys know, we have overhauled the website. So if you go to MikeMayashiro.com, it's a whole new look. We gave it a facelift and then also replaced some organs. So if you poke around, I think you'll be really impressed and excited that we've upgraded that. So go check that out, MikeMayashiro.com. Um, but I want to jump right into this because the guest we have on today, you guys, this person changed my life and he's a hero of mine. I love following everything that he does and the impact he's having on the world. Um, some of you guys who follow me on YouTube may have seen me interview him there in this series, Confessions. Nope. Conversations with fabulous people. Um, but here he is on Confessions of Reformer. Um, you guys, would you please welcome to the episode, Mr. John Crowder. John, you want to say hello to everyone? Yeah, thanks, Mike. Good to be here. Hello, everyone. And uh, man, it's been a while since I've seen you. Good to see your face again. Hope COVID's been treating you well. <laughs> it has. Um, so, John, there are people on the episode, the in my podcast world who I'm assuming don't necessarily know who you are. They don't really have background on you. And so I'd love for you to be maybe um, just give them a little bit of an intro. I want to, them to hear a brief bit of your story. So I know you started in the church and then obviously you're still in the church, but like your experience with the Lord and Christianity has transformed and evolved. And I think you've broken into a lot of things that have created a lot of freedom for people in how they navigate what it means to be a Christian today. Would you mind just sharing a bit of your journey on where you started and how you got to where you are now? And then I'd love to just unpack that from there. Sure. Well, it was a warm summer's day on August 10th, 1976, uh, when John Crowder came into the world. I'll try to keep it a little shorter than that. I, um, I did. I grew up in like a, a very legalistic, like holiness Pentecostal church as a kid, like where the ladies had to grow their hair long and couldn't wear makeup. And uh, and of course, everyone would wear like an inch thick makeup because when you make up a man-made rule like that, people just want to break it. Right. So just really bizarre, like sort of like counter or not counter, just just like weird culture within, you know, um, it, just that's where I grew my fondness for religion. You know, I mean, it, I, I just absolutely and that was sarcasm, by the way, I absolutely had this twisted view of, of God through it all, very legalistic, um, very condemning. And so obviously that sent me spiraling off into drugs by the time I was a teenager, as it does. And uh, I had this just radical encounter with the Lord uh, in college. I was actually on drugs when I had this, and, and I don't recommend people take drugs to have an encounter. I mean, I, I, I got delivered from all of that. And, um, and I, I, I had this really tangible experience with, with Holy Spirit. And it was a, it was a whole different thing from the, that spirit of fear that I, I really grew up with. So uh, long story short, that was around the mid nineties when the Toronto renewal was happening. 
And I'm, I'm sure a few of your listeners are familiar with the history of that. And it was all about the, the father's love and joy and experiencing the, the presence of God and, and really uh, contemplation. And so that just overhauled everything for me. And uh, right around that time, I was into the whole uh, prophetic movement. I don't, I don't know if it's still called that today. I haven't been part of it for a while, technically, I guess you could say. Um, I, I, and I, I really got burnt out on it, even by the end of the 90s. And, and uh, I just saw so much sort of focus on gifting, and it was all subjective. And it just, um, I, I don't know, it just wasn't scratching an itch for me. And that's when I started to really get into the church mystics and really go deeper. For, so it wasn't like I, I didn't believe in prophecy or that God speaks today. Of course, God speaks, but I also think we need to have a healthy doubt about our own ability to interpret him correctly. Mm-hmm. And the mystics, they would hear from the Lord all the time, but they held this stuff open-handedly. For the mystics, it wasn't about gifts or prophecy or healing or miracles. It was, it was all about just the sweet presence of, of Jesus himself. I mean, that's what contemplation is, just drinking in the love of God. So um, I, I just sort of uh, got in this place where that's that's all I wanted, and you know, prophecy, schmophecy, that's fine, but I, I just I wanted Christ, and so uh, around that time, by the, by then, I was uh, I was an older, I was I dropped out of college. I, I went to Alaska of all places. I was going to be a monk. Uh, we're not a monk, a hermit, <laughs> to be more specific. <laughs> I grew out this big, huge woman repellent beard, which, uh, as you can see now, I, I still it's it's grown back. I've got a big beard right now, but um, I was. Um, uh, just went, got a one room cabin in Alaska, wanted to uh, just escape the world, just be in the presence of God and solitude and, and quiet and peace. And then I met my wife the first week I got there and I realized celibacy was uh, very overrated. And uh, we, we, uh, we, we got married uh, very shortly after. And then a few years later, I wrote this book called The New Mystics, and it wasn't just about really mysticism and contemplation, but I also included a lot of like supernatural church history, crazy stories of people who walked on water, who floated off the ground. I mean, levitation miracles are all throughout church history. That's not some Far Eastern, you know, um, uh, weird occultic thing. Uh, even the word mystic, a lot of people don't understand that word. They think you're talking about crystal balls and Ouija boards, but but it's all about, you know, contemplating Christ. And anyways, I... Um, I, I come out with this book and suddenly overnight I'm, I'm on the conference speaker scene and I go from preaching to 30 people and a dog at the most in, in, uh, in my local church to suddenly, um, you know, I'm, I'm on stage with 1500 people and these, you know, huge authors and speakers. And it, it was pretty overwhelming. And, you know, but, but after a while, man, I, I just got really, Really, I was done with it because I, I, I didn't. Um, it's hard to pull off a big, fine-tuned, well-oiled ministry machine when, uh, when, when you're just hammered in, in the spirit and just. I, for me, it was just all about, always about that sweet wine of His presence, and so I didn't care about the the politics. And man, you've got to be a good politician to be in in big time ministry, and and. Uh, kissing all the right backsides and crossing the right T's and dotting the right I's. For, for me, it was about the presence. And so there was a, a season where, man, we we're just seeing all this wild stuff, just joy breaking out, people having these exhilarating experiences. We were, we were very wide open to like ecstatic experiences, supernatural stuff, 
people physically, tangibly encountering the presence of God, wild miracles. I mean, rain pouring in the middle of the building, uh, metal pins and plates melting out of people's bodies and tumors disappearing and just, you know, stuff that after a while, it's like, that's just the norm, like supernatural Christianity is normal Christianity, but, but it wasn't just about the miracles. Like I'm not on Facebook. Oh, look at this miracle today. I mean, the, like the mystics of the church, they actually had this virtue called humility. Like they, they just didn't go, you know, talking about all this stuff and broadcast. I understand testifying and sharing this stuff, but you know, I, I was just in a different place. And it's not that I, I intentionally pulled away from, from that whole stream of like the big charismatic meetings as much as honestly, we got blacklisted because we were having too much fun. I mean, it, it wasn't just this religious program of let's have a nice orderly conference, man, just crazy stuff would happen. And so, um, you know, fast forward and, and, and you got to think in those days and you were part of some of that, Mike, I mean, you've seen some of the meetings, people would come like dressed up in costumes and wearing monk robes and Christmas lights and cereal boxes on their head. And you're trying to figure out like, what's going on here? And um, and then they walk by and they say, cheerio. Oh, that, that, that's what you're, so, you know, so you just, you, you stop asking questions after a while. It was just this wild season of just celebration, you know, just a real joy, celebratory, wild. these things look more like parties or raves than they did church meetings. And so there was this real season of really, really crazy stuff. But in the middle of all this, in the middle of just, just diving deep into this, uh, appreciation of the presence of God, what started happening is my theology started changing. And I wouldn't just say change, I would say really came into a lot of clarity that I never had before. Because I had tasted Mr. Grace a long time before. And it's that started to connect why so many of these streams just get get sort of stuck and stagnant and become uh, really become a bit a bit, they become a bit irrelevant. Um, because so many guys, they're, they're trying to reaccomplish what Christ has already done. And so that really moved us into the season we've been in in the last, my goodness, 10, 15 years is, is really getting back to this realization that we're already in union with God, thanks to the incarnation, death and resurrection of Jesus. So we don't have to climb these ladders to try to get more of the spirit, to try to pull God down, to try to fast him into existence or whatever. And all these humanistic efforts that we don't even realize are, are, are pagan humanistic efforts that repudiate the finished work of the cross. We're, we're trying to fix ourselves up and clean ourselves up. But we started to realize, man, I was crucified with Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. We're a new creation. The problem is we haven't woken up to that. And even the word repentance, we don't know what that means. It's metanoia. It's changing our mind. It's waking up and smelling the coffee and realizing I'm in him. He's in me. There's no separation. And, and he's closer than the air we breathe. And so, you know, we, we, we need, we need, a, a, we need a, a, a Christological foundation. Mm. You know, you had asked me, Mike, and I don't want to ramble off too long because um, I, I didn't mean to get on such a long kick here. Awesome. But, uh, you you had asked me to talk about American folk religion. And before John, hang on real quick. Yeah. You guys, yeah. I want to make sure we all remember any person I'm interviewing on this podcast. I want them to be free to say whatever they want to say, however they want to say it. I may or may not agree. And that's irrelevant. It doesn't matter if they're offensive. If we have things to have to wrestle through, I want us to get to just work that out. John has full permission to say whatever he wants to say. Yeah, please jump in, John, go for it. 
Well, some podcasts too, they're, they're more conversational style. Some are like preaching. So if, if I'm just rambling too long, I just, you know, whatever. I'll, we'll, I'll insert. Free. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you had asked me, you know, Hey, let's talk about, um, you know, this term American folk religion. And I was like, man, where I'm thinking, where do we begin? How much time do we have? Because once you start pulling the string of the sweater, you realize that the whole thing just starts to, to come apart. I mean, from the very beginning, I mean, unfortunately, um, so many pastors and, and I'm not bashing pastors, man, we need to honor and appreciate pastors. Pastors go through so much. I mean, it's one of the most least respected um, positions you can have. People project all their issues onto you. You have to like be the God figure for people. And you're always going to disappoint them when they, when they, they have these, these failed expectancies and, and, and uh, there's the, what they call sheep bite, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a difficult thing. But nevertheless, unfortunately, so many pastors here, especially in the Western church today here in America, man, they, they can't even pronounce Christology. It, or if they do, it's, it's, one, it's one chapter in, you, you know, their systematic book of, you know, well, there's creation and the law and the prophets and then one little section on Jesus. And then we move on to how to sanctify yourself and, you know, work your miracles and all this stuff. And it's like, man, the whole thing. Is about Christ, the, the protology, the teleology, the, the, the beginning and the end. It's it's all Him, and and I don't mean just being Christocentric, because everybody's going to say, well, it's all about Jesus. Put Jesus first. But what they really mean is you have to put Jesus first. It's your effort of of promulgating and following. But no, the the whole point is that Christ single handedly has already woven us into the life of the Trinity, and so often in our attempts to 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 fix ourselves up, man, the, the, the gospel is not a self-improvement program. He didn't come to fix us. He came to kill us, raise us from the dead, and he did it in his own broken servant body. It's about what he accomplished. It's not about my faith. It, it, it's, it's his faith. It's not my repentance. It's his repentance. It's not my baptism. He, he, he didn't need baptism from John in the Jordan. His baptism was our baptism. His circumcision on the eighth day was a circumcision of the world. His obedience was my obedience. He was broken so I'd be made whole by his stripes. I'm healed. He stepped into humanity to plunge me into his divinity. It's all summed up in Christ. What if Jesus had something to do with our spiritual journey? That'd be kind of crazy, right? So we have all this stuff where, where we have fabricated these things uh, here in the Western world that's so far from the patristic church father, so far from the, the Pauline gospel and the Johannine message. And, and, and it, I mean, it's like I said, Mike, we could go any direction with this. Uh, so many so many people can't give you more than five minutes of a talk on the Trinity. I mean, it, it might be important to know who we worship and, and a little bit of that dynamic. I mean, there's just a lot out there. So, um, yeah, let me just say that Pandora's box started to open up for us. Uh, when, when, we, when we really came to this revelation, like Paul said, I've resolved to know nothing but Christ in him crucified. And, and, and I've just become an expert in the knowledge of nada. I mean, I have, I have forgotten everything that I thought I knew about angels and warfare and charismatic, you know, blowing rainbow skittles out of your shofar, whatever the latest spiritual trend is and cleaning your soul gates and your portals and all, you know, all this nonsense, but also all that evangelical nonsense of, uh, I mean, you know, well, I'm going to let you ask another question, Mike. Let's put it. <laughs> no, that's awesome. So I know 
Man, what? So I just for the audience's sake, I first encountered your existence and what you were bringing to the world when I was in first year at BSSM at Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. And there was a school of like a, a chunk of students in my class who were getting very inebriated in listening to you and going to meetings you were doing and whatever. And they had a very unique vibe about them in school. And we were like, who, what is the deal? And I actually mostly found these people to be offensive because I didn't experience any of that. I didn't understand it. I didn't relate, relate to it really. I thought it was intriguing, but a lot of them just seemed kind of dopey and out of their mind a little bit. I'm like, I don't what is going on here? You know, I just didn't really have a grid for that. And then when I was in second year, um, I was living with a guy who was a big Crowder fan and his life had been radically changed because of the gospel that you were preaching. And he and I wrestled for a couple months and I realized in that process, there were some things I believed that I was filtering things through that I wasn't even conscious of that were keeping me from understanding a whole other realm or aspect of what was being told to us in that book. And I, and I couldn't hear it. And I remember there was a moment where I was like, what this guy's contending for is better than what I'm contending for. He's freer than I am. Why am I fighting for this? Right. It just, and it didn't make sense anymore. I'm like, I'm, I'm being run by something that doesn't actually profit people. I should probably listen to him. So I like had a little bit of a moment of repentance there when I humbled myself and actually submitted to that. Maybe this guy knew what he was talking about, or there's something true here. Things shifted. So then I read your book and everything changed. And then we got to walk out. Oh, sorry. Your book, mystical union. I started reading that and it just started dismantling stuff. I'd never even like recognized in my religion, right. In my religiosity, I guess. And so since then, he and I dialogued a lot and it started to take away things that I found comfort and security and control in that, you know, gave me some kind of checkbox that made me feel safe in my Christianity that actually was absolutely dependent on me and my ability or whatever. And it was terrifying and so liberating to let go of some of those things. So I think I'd want to start there poking at um, when you talk about people, you, you make this joke like, well, what if Jesus had something to do with our spirituality and all that? Um, can you... Can you identify specific attitudes or practices that Christians regularly demonstrate that you're like, this is an absolute lack of dependence on Jesus and instead putting it on you? Like, what does that practically look like? How can people recognize that they might be doing that? Yeah, I, <clears throat> well, I think it's, it's probably both theological and experiential because a lot of times we'll hear you know Jesus did it all but then we we sort of go back to these routines that we've learned and and we can't really process out in day-to-day -day life um, a, a a real Christological perspective because how does this affect um, things like fasting or giving or prayer or communion or just all these different, all these different things. You know, you've got people that they feel like they've got to clean themselves up before they go to the, the Lord's table. And it's like, no, man, the, the table cleaned me up. It's, it's, it's him. I mean, we've, we've misread Paul radically backwards there, you know, where he says, check your hearts. He's actually saying, make sure there's no anxiety in your heart. You belong at this table. Why do you think some of you're sick? You're eating in an unworthy manner. You don't realize your worth. You don't realize your belonging. You know, just basic things like this, I think, in practice as well. Uh, or, or we're trying to, you know, do some 40 day fast to, you know, bring revival or whatever. And, and in reality, Jesus didn't bring any disciples with him into the desert. He wasn't having fasting course 101. Uh, that was part of his substitutionary act. He, he fasted so that we could feast. He was a man of sorrow. So it would be a, a people of joy. 
And, uh, and even when the, the apostles fasted in the book of Acts, it was always just to clear their head before they ordained a new leader. You know, we, we have these, these regimens we get into that, that are, are just more, we, we think it's traditional. And so we don't want to rock the boat, but a lot of, a lot of what we call tradition here in the Western world is, is not really tradition. I mean, it doesn't go back very far. Our, our views of, you know, the, the new birth. I mean, that's, that's a big one, you know, are you born again? I'm born again. Let's get born again. You want to get born again? And it, it's like, you know, we think we walk up to the altar one day, uh, 1998 and, and, and Jesus magically jumps inside of us. Now that that's, that's not what happened. He says in John 14, 12, he says in that day, you will realize I'm in my father and you are in me and I am in you. Jesus is inside of everyone. Now you say something like that, that's evangelical suicide, but I, I committed it a long time ago. <laughs> all, all of humanity is in the last Adam. There's no such thing as separation from God. I mean, you think hell is separation from God? Nobody gets that much privacy. D David said, if I go to the depths of hell, there you are. I mean, you, you go way further back than Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God, you know, preached in New England to the Puritans. You, you, you push this thing back to, to the Orthodox brothers, you know, um, a thousand years prior to that. And they would say, you know, you know what hell is? God is hell. It's the fire of his love. Who, who, can, who can dwell with a consuming fire? I mean, 300 million believers, the Orthodox Church, that, that's the, the closest thing they have to a consensus on hell is that heaven and hell are our language for what it's like to be in the presence of God. You're going to love it or you're going to hate it. But it's not some torture chamber. I mean, for crying out loud, he's, he's not the enemy of the damned. He's the savior of the damned. But we're not writing off the hell that people so know and love either. I mean, that, that's not what I'm saying. I mean, I mean, my my God, if, if anything's stronger than hell, it's God. And if you're swimming upstream against him, that's not good, right? So so we're not writing it off, but it's like, man, we, we need a better Christological perspective on these things. We need a God that looks like Jesus. And in so many of these little side areas of our, our doctrine, um, it, it's just unfortunate. It's very unfortunate. And, and a big one here, uh, Mike, how have we gotten to a point where we think that union with God is heresy? It's absolutely mind-boggling that, that we've, we've reached that point. And, and it's just unfortunate. I know these are strong words, but unfortunately, it is just complete paganism. Uh, in Christ, all things hold together. Paul, to the pagans in Acts 17, he says, in him we live and move and have our being. They don't know that, but every breath they breathe is sustained by him. Faith is not getting you into Jesus. It's waking up to a reality that he's been here the whole time. And so I'm, I'm not minimizing things like people's conversion experience, but what that is, it's an experience of something that he's always known to be true about you. You were associated with him from the foundation of the world. And this may not seem like a big deal. This is a pretty big deal because it takes a lot of hurdles out of the way. We are here to proclaim something to humanity, not, not offer a, an optional transaction that they can choose to sign up for the club. We're here to tell them, hey, you're already in the family. You don't know it. Let me introduce you to the one in whose image you've been created so that you can gaze upon him again like a mirror and begin to reflect him in your life. So um, 
so yeah, and, and I, I know that I sound when I, I get on these rants, uh, Mike. I know it, I can sound frustrated, and it, it does get frustrated when you when these you you begin to see some of this. How Jesus has been sidelined, the Trinity's been sidelined, and we've inserted our sort of uh, efforts, and, and we've built we have built this American folk religion sort of systematic thing. But at the same time. Um, I mean, I, I really am at peace because I know that it's going to take the Lord to wake people up to this stuff, not me just ranting on YouTube or whatever. And I think as we as we slow down, and I know, man, uh, for you not being able to travel much in, in ministry this year with the pandemic and all this kind of stuff, uh, I think a lot of people are coming to this sort of uh, internal crisis of how do I do what I do? what am I doing? Uh, who am I Lord? <laughs> and, and, and I think that, that we are in an interesting time of, of deep reflection. And I think that there's an opportunity for us to go to a real contemplative dimension here where we're not even in trying to give this gospel out. The burden is not ultimately on us. Unless the Lord builds a house, we labor in vain and there's deep rest for us. And there's a wholeness for us. And we need to be modeling that because as you know, in society today, there's just not a lot of wholeness and, and, and the society has flipping gone mad. <laughs> so, so as, as we begin, revelation begins to come of who Christ is and what he's done and how off the, the church is in so many areas, although we love the church and how, you know, um, utterly confused society is. We, we don't want to just jump into trying to fix everybody ourselves because that's counterproductive as well so yeah totally that's yeah thank you a question for some of the audience members who might know probably were thinking this what is your distinction for them i know you probably get tired having to answer this question all the time but i know like they're gonna have these things in their head like you're saying that everyone's saved like how do you respond to that flare-up of you know being people being afraid of the universalist approach or um, sure. Say to them on that. Yeah. Well, on that issue, you know, the, the, the thing is we, uh, a lot of times we're asking the wrong questions is the thing. And, um, it's like Rob Bell had his book about hell or whatever it was a few years ago, Everybody got upset. His book was just questions, but these were questions that had already been dealt with in Trinitarian theology a long time ago. Um, you know, and a lot of it's Rob's just trying to be provocative, of course. Um, Here's the thing, uh, to even use terms like saved or unsaved, those are loaded terms because they mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, one thing you can't say is insider versus outsider because the outsiders have become insiders in Christ. I mean, Jesus is telling the, the Pharisees, he says, you've got the kingdom within you. This is before anybody was a Christian. This is before he went to the cross. The kingdom is not just at hand. It's not just right. He's within you. Okay. So... I don't like to use terms like saved and unsaved and all this kind of like that's become sort of religious jargon. I think about the best thing you can say is believer or non-believer. Do you believe? Do you realize the one? And I'm not minimizing faith here, but something very, very important does need to be said here. The gospel does not demand faith. The gospel supplies faith. 
It's in the hearing that you're included. It's in the hearing that you're forgiven. It's in the hearing that you're accepted, that the ecstatic yes of faith begins to bubble up. So I'm not saying all dogs go to heaven. I'm not talking about universalism because universalism is another one of these logical humanistic boxes where, where, you know, oh, well, God's good. So logically, he's going to program everybody like a computer to automatically say yes to him. But that's not a real relationship, right? We're sentient beings. There, there is an outside the gate and you're free to stand out there and suck your thumb potentially forever and burn in your own attempt at self-destruction. But we read in Revelation 21, the gates of heaven are always open day and night. So we can't throw that onto him. See, we're free to reject him all we want, but we can't stop him from loving and including us. We don't get to own him that way. He is Mr. Love. And so there are a lot of nuanced dynamics in here is what I'm saying, Mike, where we've truncated these things down into an inner out dualistic mentality. And we've missed the very God that we're supposedly telling people about. So, and there, there's going to be a place, some place for mystery in here. And I know people say, well, I just, I just believe what the Bible says. You believe your interpretation of the Bible that somebody gave you, that they say is the traditional understanding, which I just said, Orthodox haven't believed that stuff for a thousand years or more. It, this is, a lot of this is new, fabricated, like I said, American folk religion. And, and, and really here at the end of the day, here's where the rubber hits the road is what are you doing with Jesus? And this is the other big one, and this is a really big one, is we give lip service to a trinity that we don't believe in. Because most people, they believe in demon, son, and holy Bible. They believe Jesus is paying off the wrath of a higher, holier deity. And so what you're essentially saying is that you don't believe Jesus is God. You believe he's some agent. And you say, well, the Father's too holy to look upon our sin. Oh, but Jesus isn't? So Jesus is not as holy as the Father, which is to say Jesus is not God, which is to say you're not a Christian. I mean, this whole thing of penal substitution, that the Father killed his own son so that he could love us, that somehow Jesus changed God. God doesn't need changing. We did. We don't even know what the cross is about. The cross wasn't paying off. The, the, the Trinity wasn't imploding on the cross. Matter of fact, if, if the Father is killing the Son on the cross, where's the Holy Spirit? Whose side is Holy Spirit on? Standing in the corner? And shell shock while the abuse is going on? Come on. We, we don't even believe in the Trinity, Mike. This is the problem. No, nobody even, they think, they go, well, the Trinity is a mystery. Yeah, but if that's all you're saying about this God, come on. Jesus reveals what the Father looks like. To see Jesus is to see the Father. The Father looks just like the Son. The Father is not the Son. The Father does not look different than the Son. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Spirit is God. There are not three gods. There is one God in three persons, in this unity of love, in this circle of other giving, interpenetrating love. And that's what we've been brought into. The party, that's a different God than the one I grew up with. The solitary, angry, monad God who was always alone, who doesn't care if he's alone, doesn't care if you join him or not. That is not God. Diablos maybe, Beelzebub maybe, with a, with a little fish bumper sticker on it. In the name of Jesus, worshiping this solitary demonic thing. Let me tell you something. <laughs> he is infinitely humble. He is infinitely accepting. 
And it's our fears and, and our idol God of condemnation and legalism that, that we've raised up in the name of Jesus. And that's the thing that Father, Son, and Spirit are coming against right now and are shattering. And if it, and if it means the church having a, a period of deconstruction, then so be it. And, and I, I am not one of these nihilistic deconstructionists who think we just have to tear everything down to the point that we even evolve beyond Jesus. No, but there's a place of mystery, but it's also a, a place of God's absolute positive declaration that he looks just like the sun. And, and that's what we anchor on. Mm. Wow. That was, I think that was really important and necessary. Thank you. <laughs> Shoot. Um, so on the subject of deconstruction, John, would you say that you separate yourself from the category or that group who would say, I, I'm a deconstructionist. I'm, you know, doing the, the work of deconstruction of recovering from the Christianity I was raised in that was destructive or abusive or whatever. Um, how would you, how do you relate to that camp versus, you know, um, the people who aren't going in that direction for fear or re repulsion at the the judgment of that attitude or whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, well, uh, there's a necessary place uh, for what, what in the East you would call apophatic theology, negative theology, the, the via negativa, the negative way, which is, um, which is essentially to make it, make it easy for folks. It just saying what God is not. Okay. God is not bad. God, God is not limited. Uh, and, and so there's, some of some of these things that have positively been said about God, God is this way. We're starting to realize. Well, well wait a minute. No, He's not. That that's uh, C.S. Lewis called him the great iconoclast. You know, symbols and packages and these little God apparatuses that we we make, like an IKEA shelf. They're always going to be wobbly because they're not. Sorry, they're they're not the the real deal. So, and God stands against all these things. So there, there's definitely a place where we always have to be open to, to mystery. And yet, as I said, there is only one positive way. When we, we look at the decisive, singular, positive way God has revealed himself, and that's in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. God became flesh. Moses couldn't see the glory. Moses saw the backside of God and, and glowed for the rest of his life. But what does John say? He says, we have seen his glory. We've touched him. We've handled him. God wants to be known, wants to reveal himself. And this is why, man, we, we can never figure God out. We, we can't start with our human mind and work our way up. It's absolute futility. You see it in the Calvinist. You see it in the Arminianist. You see it in the Universalist. But you also see it in the Deconstructionist because they, they actually start thinking that they're going to figure out God by unfiguring it out. And, and that's also just, you know, the, the, the mind. No, God, God is not discovered. He's self-revealing. He came down. It's not a bottom-up approach. It's a top-down approach. He, he has come to reveal himself. No one has seen God except the one who has come from the Father's very bosom. He reveals. So, Mike, I think, um, the, you know, the churches are emptying. We, we see that all over the place. Unfortunate, most churches are emptying. Not, not, you know, there, there's some that aren't. Um, <clears throat> but I think a lot of people, they're, they're also... Theology aside, a lot of people are, they're looking for 
they're interested in the major questions of life. They're not being adequately fed through the culture, unfortunately not being met necessarily in established churches. And there are deeper issues, which are, they're, not, they're just not finding adequate answers to in the church, I think. And, and these longings, they can only be suppressed or else they get diverted, looking for wealth, affection, fame, prestige, power, control. And these impulses are extremely absorbing and they appeal to the false self, the illusory self, the identity, the identity crisis of fallen Adam. And these things, they become overwhelmingly oppressive necessities if they're not moderated. And as we know, there is an endless propaganda of worldly motivation and shallow gratifications that just don't speak to the deeper needs of humanity, but which are pervasive everywhere. And it all leaves this spiritual element of people unsatisfied. And there's something about the contemplation of Christ, of recognizing our union that, that undercuts all of this to the root of what we're looking for. And when I say contemplation, I don't, I don't mean just theologically understanding this stuff. I'm, I'm talking the ancient Christian practice of, of, of wordless adoration, the, the practice of the presence of God, something that goes deeper than a 45-minute worship set or shaking in a Pentecostal meeting or whatever. This is spiritual wonder, gazing on Christ in a way that, that escapes symbols and the idolatrous mental images that we construct to, to, to really limit him. So, you know, and I'm, I'm actually I'm doing, I'm not trying to plug it right now, but I'm doing a, a course on contemplation right now. And this has just uh, been consuming me, the, the, the necessity, you know, because contemplation is the mode by which we participate in this union that's ours in Christ. Okay, we don't affect this union. We don't make this union happen, but we are called to drink of it, to feast on it, and and, and not just stay in a realm of theory or books or positional ideology. So I don't want people to think, well, he's just talking theology here. You know, if you've got like a charismatic guy and you start to say something they don't understand, oh, well, you're just talking theology. No, man, we, we need to experience, okay? And, and so anyways, all this to say, and, and um. And then we can move on. But, but uh, there are reasons people have bailed from churches. Oftentimes, it's the human element. Faults of churches, leadership, maybe some hypocrisy, uh, lack of commitment to the ideals they supposedly espouse. And so many people right now, they are looking elsewhere for spirituality. And you know what? I'm not going to limit God. I, maybe the spirit is, is moving out there to meet people where they're at, even outside the church. He, he works that way. Okay. Uh, and so I think a lot of this deconstruction that we're seeing at the moment, at least people are being awakened to certain deeper values or solutions, even if it's outside the church, if they're not being met in the church, but outside the community of faith, I mean, again, this, this endless deconstruction, it's, it's just going to end in a, a depressed nihilism. And, and often, you know, Folks, a lot of times folks just don't like to be told what to do, especially in our society. I mean, we have issues with any type of authority, especially if we've only known, you know, controlling authority. And I mean, it's one of the reasons uh, sermons aren't in fashion anymore. You know, it's all participatory learning, you know, or whatever. People have a hard time listening to lectures or sitting there, you know, texting or whatever. I'm not saying you're texting. I'm just <laughs> but the question is whether 
all this new spiritual stuff that they, you know, is being volleyed around. Is it really going to be transformative? Is it really freeing us from the illusion of our false self and, and a real interaction uh, with the presence of Christ? And um, it can't be enough just to talk about Christ. Mysticism involves engaging in this union that we have in him, gazing at God. And uh, this is not a fringe, it's not a fringe side topic. So uh, Carl, Carl Rahner, he said, the, the, the uh, Catholic theologian, he said, the Christian of the future will be a mystic or he will not exist. And I think that's where we're at right now. I don't think these just systematic, logical frameworks are working. And I also don't think that the emotional, charismatic cheerleading that just ends up being shallow and human-driven, that's exhausting. That, that's not working either. We, we need some, some depth right now. And um, true contemplation is not about self-improvement. It's about losing sight of self altogether. It's not about some therapeutic thing on Oprah's Super Bowl, Super Soul Sunday. <laughs> but... Uh, but it, it's it's a real it's a real beatific vision of Christ. Anyway, yeah, I love it. So, what is are you? Is this course you're doing? Is it in currently in motion? Is it something you're preparing that will be available later? Can people be part of that? How? What, what's that about? Yeah, sure. We we just started it a couple weeks ago. It's it's a six week course we're doing online. Um, it'll be recorded for the future and stuff too. Uh, one nice thing about the pandemic is I've had time to do more online. Uh, schools and stuff, whereas normally I'm, I'm just on the road. So that's, that's been cool. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So how would any of the resources or things you're coming out with or have already produced? How do people get a hold of that, John? Yeah. Uh, thanks for asking my, uh, if you go to our website, our website is the new mystics.com. That's the T H E uh, mystics.com. And then also I've got a, like an online web store, johncrowder.net. And that's where you can find some of the e-courses and we've got like an online seminary, just different online modules. We got six weeks on Christology, which is sort of why I've got this fire in me for like people, Hey, wake up. It's about Jesus. Uh, and then we have one coming up. that will be kind of fun in December. It's called drunk church history. So uh, it's going through kind of, why do we believe what we believe? Where, where these different denominations come from? Why don't Christians all get along, you know, and, and, and also going through that, why, why I call it drunk church history is also I want to focus on more of like kind of the mystical, ecstatic, and, and, and weird supernatural stuff that sort of tends to get sidelined in church history that kind of gets written off as being maybe that wasn't real or it's irrelevant or we don't know what to do with it. So it should be kind of a fun, fun course. Okay, great. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, we'll, absolutely. We'll put those links in the podcast episode when it gets posted so people can find those there too. Sure. Um, I've got two more questions for you. Absolutely. Uh, one of them was you posted a, maybe a month ago ish on Facebook a few weeks ago on the subject of abortion. Mm -hmm. And obviously that is a dividing argument, even among Christians. I have some friends who are believers who've loved Jesus, who are of the pro choice persuasion. And, you know, I've been trying to listen to them on that side and where they're coming from and all this. And um, I wanted to, ask you about your convictions in that area and what you're seeing in our country and the values in our society. And um, just, would you mind sharing your thoughts and attitude on that issue? Sure. Uh, probably by now people hopefully see that I'm, I'm not a fundamentalist, <laughs> but um, 
I'm also not a, I wouldn't like, I don't like to call myself a progressive either. I think what we need is some regressive Christianity. Really, I think we need to push this mother all the way back to the Nicene Creed. I mean, most Christians don't even know what the, the church's creed is. They never even heard of it. it, it it's crazy how disconnected we are from the roots. So uh, here's the thing, though, with, with this issue, I, I try not to incessantly harp on it because people already view people that believe in life as being militaristic. Uh, but I at least drop one loaded spicy bomb about abortion on on my page once a year. Uh, so I don't harp on it too much. But when I do, I do. Because, Mike, I mean, we, we have the blood of 60 million children on our hands. It's part of why I can't be a nationalist. That, that That's happened under our flag. I, I mean, it's even celebrated by our Christian progressivist brothers. And a lot of them, pardon my French, but a lot of people are just butthurt over religion or they're looking for attention and it's an, a, an, an edgy, trendy way to, you know, and, and a lot of people, they have to prove contrarian to anything smacking of even the basic tenets of their supposed faith, such as thou shalt not kill. And man, we, we don't know how to individuate and think for ourselves a lot of times. We have to follow some ideological party line. And I'm not following this line because I'm a Republican or something, okay? Uh, I don't even, I'm more borderline anarchist. I mean, not, not really. I, I do live in uh, New Antifa here in Portland, Oregon. I'm just saying, but in <laughs> the, the split is like a bifurcation in this polarized society today. And everybody, you know, politically demonizes the other side. But there are some issues, Mike, that just stand as an unequivocal evil that, that we have to oppose at all costs, that by, by all people. And, and if they label you as being draconian and religious or regressive or right wing, man, I, I really don't care. Uh, and, and there are these, these same talking points uh, of, of, you know, justifications for it and and it's just the same, it's really just murderous swill, you know, well, it's, it's the woman's body. Yeah. And the child's who maybe has a right to life or somebody's going to say, well, if they outlawed it, you know, they'd still do it in an unsafe way. Well, apply that justification to pedophiles. We shouldn't outlaw pedophilia. They'll just do it anyway. Come on. Or, or well, it's not safe. Hey, there's never a safe abortion for the child. This is about women's rights. Unborn women also have rights. You know, we, we want to save the baby whales, save the baby humans. I mean, they're just, there's just a lot of conflated thinking in this. And then, and then one of the things, you know, you hear, uh, and, and these are just crazy justifications, but people, they say, well, you should be talking about taking care of children after they're born. Well, I do. You know, every month we feed, house, educate unwanted orphans. We've taken, we've got orphanages we built around the world. You know, are, are, are people just repeating this ideological talking point or are they actually doing something? I mean, there are countless agencies, as a matter of fact, prospective adoptive parents, taxpayer subsidies. We live in a glutted 21st century world with the greatest economy ever on the planet. OK, there are plenty of safety nets in today's society that, you know, where people are willing to rescue children. So this takes that excuse off the table. And if they're just using this to try to wedge in some kind of socioeconomic restructuring, you know, that, that, that's a, that's, it's just a red herring. It's a, it's a whole separate argument. Okay. But man, I'm just saying, Mike, it is shameless 
audacity to claim moral high ground by, by advocating for cold-blooded uh, Holocaust in lieu of, well, you know, we need a better child support check or something. I mean, even if that were the case, it's still not a justification for murder. And then when you go down this road, here's what happens. People say, well, what about immigration? What about racism? What about universal health care? And I just say, look, hang on, stop you right there. You're mistaking me for somebody who's entrenched in that two-party political crap, which I am not a card-carrying member of. So none of those are remotely relevant to the issue at hand. Okay. So uh, again, there's lots of platitudes and I could go on about this forever, but we, we just can't justify ripping innocent children from the womb. And, and I just, I'm, people are going to be on the wrong side of history on this one, mark my words. And, if, and, and I know we find this an unpleasant topic, but I would just say, hey, if you call yourself a Christian, take a moment of introspection and ask Christ to show you his opinion on this. And don't confuse it with our own calloused opinions. Okay. We need it. We need to have a place of humility here that maybe we aren't completely right on everything just because our side believes that. Okay. And, and try picking up those, those dusty scriptures off the shelf. If we've got humility to glean from those and, and understand my, my perspective I'm coming from, cause I know these are, these are strong words, but anybody who has aborted a child, man, I understand that the, the, the trauma, the guilt, the shame. And you need to know you are, you are forgiven. You are loved. You are fully accepted by Christ. But man, I, I saw a guy the other day, they said, well, you know, all those babies are going to heaven anyways. So we should just kill people because they're going to heaven anyway. Come on. If we have experienced this in our lives, if you have, you know, been a part of something like this, let, let your voice be one that, that now rescues those, those lives and, and help young, scared mothers that are battling with this very decision, bring them groceries, you know, have, have some, you know, tangible, uh, we, we can all, we can do something here without just being angry. Uh, <laughs> and, and, it, and it should make us angry, but, but it's how we deal with that. I think that's important. But uh, if we use the epitaph Christian, you know, we, we, we claim to follow Christ. And then like, like Pilate, we just assent to any form of murder under just propagandist pressure of society. Man, unfortunately, we've got blood on our hands. And, and we've taken the name of the Lord in vain. Taking the name of the Lord in vain is not saying GD. It's saying you're a Christian, but you're advocating murder. And this, this abortion has been unequivocally opposed by Christ's people for 2,000 years. So it's just not complicated. There's just no gray areas here. It is purest evil. All right. Thank you for sharing. Okay, <laughs> last question. <laughs> If you guys have any questions, you can email John at. Um, so, John, this is called the Confessions of a Reformer podcast. And I usually like to give the people being interviewed an opportunity to share a confession along the way in the area of their passion or their expertise or their work or whatever. I wanted to ask if there was something that in your line of work, whether it's theology or ministry or whatever, um, is there a confession you would want to share with, with the, the, this audience of like things that you, something you wrestle with or you're not settled on or you're aware of this and you don't know what to do with it or as you're going around, you know, like turning over these rocks and realizing like what's actually going on and what we need to do about those things? Yeah. Oh, man, Mike, I could, uh, the, 
my sins follow behind me, Mike, what am I going <laughs> to actually uh, I, great, I'm not dodging your question, but a great story from one of the early desert fathers, one of the early mystics in the uh, third, fourth century. One of them, is, his name was uh, Abbot Moses. He's an Ethiopian guy. And they were calling all the monks together because some monk had, had committed some sin and some infraction and they needed to come up with a decision and he didn't want to go. He didn't want to be part of this whole thing. And they said, no, we need you to come to help us decide what to do. So finally he puts this bag of sand over his shoulder and it has holes in it. And the whole time he walks, he finally gets there and, uh, and he looks and he says, all of my sins are behind me, just like this bag of sand. They that my sins follow me, and I'm I'm here to judge this other man. And it was just so powerful a picture that uh, that man. Uh, they just let the guy off, you know, scot free. They're like, all right, we, we get it. Okay, we we all have our issues. Um, I think for me, it's not like uh, I'm, I'm not saying I'm, I'm I'm a heathen. That's not what I mean by my sins dragging behind me. But I, I think like everybody. Uh, our, our ultimate thing is our absolute measly, pathetic love for God. Uh, I wish I loved God more, but I, I can be honest about it. I, if, if, we were, if we were saved by our love for God, we would be up the creek without a paddle. I'm not saved by my love for God. I'm saved by his love for me. The only way I can love God to begin with is by drinking in his love for me. He's the only source and, and it comes to me and through me. And that's where that responsive love goes back. I'm not saying I don't love God, but I, and I think the very fact that I want to love him more says that I do, but I think we need to be honest about ourselves a little bit more that, Hey, it's not about my personal devotion. And, it, and it's not supposed to be, it's not about my, ability to follow him correctly. It's all, it's all him. So that would, that would be my confession. And that is the same confession that I've had for over 20 years is, uh, Lord, I, I, I want to love you more. And the, and I know the only way is, is drinking it in from him. And I think a lot of preachers need to be honest about that. They need to be honest because we, we're the guys who have it all down and you need to be, Hey, look, you've a lot of guys, you've, you've lost your fire. You've, you've lost. And, and I'm, I'm not saying I'm, I'm in a really good place right now. I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying, I'm, I'm on COVID sabbatical. I'm, I'm at deep peace. Okay. But I've been in seasons and I see guys in ministry, man, where they're just, they're burnt out and they're just constantly going and they're running on fumes and they're, they're trying to put this image up of their, you know, they've, they've got it all down and man, let's just acknowledge like, like, like I, I'm, I'm, empty without him. And that's, that's that. And, and, and we can acknowledge that, that, that our love compared to his is ultimately pathetic. <laughs> Man, it just, it liberates us. We're not standing on our own zeal. We're standing on his. Mm, totally. So good. I totally agree. Wow. Nice. Okay. John. <laughs> Okay. So John, obviously you told us about some of the courses you're doing online and what have you. Are there things you want to share with people listening now of ways they can like support you or plug into what you're doing or contribute to things like the orphanages you're talking about or trips you do? If you have trips coming up, I know you sometimes have mission trips you bring people with you on or things like that. Is there anything else you'd like to let people know about as far as like ways to partner with you or contribute to what you're doing? 
Yeah, thanks, Mike. I'm always uh, always more than willing to to lift money off of people. I, I appreciate <laughs> you giving me that opportunity for a, a quick offertory spiel. Um, you know, they're, they're definitely my folks can partner with us. We were doing stuff with orphans. We we also yeah we do mission trips as well. Not this year because nobody can really travel internationally. But normally we've got mission trips. We go and you can pray for the sick and do all the supernatural stuff and all that. But man, we're just preaching this gospel, just a pure unadulterated Christ and him crucified. And people are just transformed by this people that have been bound up with religious stuff for years, just transformed. And I'd, I'd love to invite people to be part of that. Uh, yeah. People want to uh, uh, financially contribute to what we're doing. One-time gifts, monthly partnerships. We could do it all. Uh, just go to the website, the We have an app as well. Uh, new mystics you could find on, Apple or Android. And normally um, in a normal year, I'm, I'm putting out like a, a little free teaching on YouTube once every week or two uh, called the Jesus trip. So there's a lot of free material people can plug into if any of this stuff interests you. Cause I know today it's like opening a bunch of cans of worms. It's like, Whoa, what did you just say? Whoa, where'd that come from? That's not biblical. I, I understand uh, uh, the, how fast paced this has been. And I, uh, I've just been ranting a lot, but, but if any of these particular topics interest you, if you go to YouTube, man, we've probably got 300 hours plus free video out there. We, we do a monthly web conference as well. Uh, we call it the inner sanctum where I get live on each, each month. And um, you can ask questions we go through and we have 200 hours of archive teachings on there as well. So there's a lot of stuff people can find us online. And, uh, and you can see what all I'm cooking. If you go to Instagram, <laughs> is it just John Crowder on Instagram? Uh, I think that's also the new mystics. Yes. It's got it. That's the okay. old handle. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. So you guys, um, John Crowder in all the ways uh, John, thank you so much for being on the episode today. I'm honored that you were on here and I love the work you're, I mean, you know this, but I just, am such a fan. I'm just so grateful for the work you're doing and the ways that you're genuinely contributing to people's um, understanding and relationship with the Lord and just correcting our thinking and our attitude about what that book is telling us and how are we actually walking this out? Such mad respect and appreciation for your ministry and your contribution and your labor. And I know it's not easy. So thank you for taking that up and doing that where I'm very honored and grateful for what you've done, what you're doing. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. It's an honor to be here and uh, good to see you. And and uh, I know we've, we've known each other for a while, but we, we got to connect again soon. And, and oh, uh, let's do it. Yeah, absolutely. Hang out a bit. Yeah. Um, you guys, thanks for listening. Obviously, um, we'd love it if you could give us a comment, uh, a like, a share, uh, a review. I do have a goal. What is it? A goal setting workshop, 1st of January, 2021 to hit the year right. If you guys have some things you want to see, be intentional with that you want to get after, we're going to be doing a workshop on that just to get some structure there and help get you going on the right paths. So if you want to join us, you can find that on mikemyshow.com. That's something fresh and fun coming up. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to see how deep this rabbit hole goes, check out MikeMyashiro.com.